0: Luke chapter 15. Hey, while you're turning there, um, hopefully you got, if you're a regular Tender at Fullness uh, family member, hopefully you got a letter from me this week um, talking about me taking a sabbatical. Uh, Actually, Kathy and I both are taking a sabbatical. Um, The way I announced it last week, where I said um, um, we're getting away from each other. Um, That's really not what I meant. Uh, I'm not taking a sabbatical from Kathy, and she's not taking, it might not be a bad idea at times, but that's really not where we're We're taking, we're getting apart from our ministry life in order to focus on soul care. The word sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath, Uh, and so this Wednesday night, hopefully you come back to the first Wednesday service, I'm going to teach this Wednesday on the Sabbath principle. Um, the idea, and I know, I know, I say Sabbath principle, and some of you are like, oh, that is so Old Testament kind of thing. Um, but it's woven into the very fabric of creation, therefore it's woven into the fabric of you. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about why Sabbath, because I'm not going to preach this sermon now, so I'll stop. Come back Wednesday night, and I hear this teaching because you need it, and so do I. And so Kathy and I, um, I'll be here next Sunday morning, some of you are a little confused seeing me this morning, thought I was gone already, Um, I'll be here next Sunday morning to kick off a series on Daniel, Kathy will stay the next week finishing up children's camp and then um, you won't see us for a couple of months uh, where we're going to take a time of just trying to hear from the Lord, trying to focus on soul care, uh, the recognition that I have is that I'm in the fourth quarter of ministry life, Um, however you cut the numbers, I'm either in the fourth quarter or I'm rapidly approaching the fourth quarter, and so I I really want to finish well, Uh, this is a great people, great place, Uh, so I I believe God has this for us, and this is not something that just came up, this has been something we've been planning for about a year. And so we're, uh, I'm, I'm very excited, hopefully you will. Our staff is incredible, great elders, uh, volunteers. You're gonna be well cared for all summer. Uh, so as a matter of fact, uh, I expect you to double in size while I'm gone. Um, so no pressure, Gabe, Scott, double uh, in size while I'm gone. and During June and July. I mean, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> Luke chapter 15, this parable, uh, this is our last sermon in this series on Luke, and I know it seems like we've been jumping all around, but we've been getting pictures, we've been looking at unique passages in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15 is one of those very unique passages, but it's one of the most familiar, uh, because Jesus tells a series of parables in this passage, and I want to let you know that I leaned heavily for these two sermons on these two books, which I highly recommend if you haven't read them, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller and The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. I would highly recommend these, and you'll probably say, oh, I don't remember when Pastor Part said that. Yeah, because I leaned heavily. So when a pastor says he leaned heavily, that means he stole these ideas from somebody else. That's just a nice way of saying it. This is my footnote. Uh, for you to say, you'll read part of this in there. So Jesus, at the beginning of Luke 15, you didn't find that near as funny as I did. Uh, (laughs) Jesus, at the beginning of Luke 15, says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, the horror, right? Right? then Jesus told them this parable. So get the idea, because this is what's really, this setup is really important to understand what's about to take place. You've got the tax collectors and sinners who are coming to hear Jesus. So you've got the people who who, who have problems in their life. They've fallen, they've stumbled, they're in trouble, they've sinned, and they probably know it. No one needs to tell them that they've sinned. They recognize it probably full well. And then you have the beautiful people, the church-going folk who are over here, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law who are over here, and they're looking at the people Jesus is hanging with, and they're judging him based on the company he keeps, which we, we do as well. And Jesus knows what's going on, and so he tells them these parables. He tells them the parable of a lost sheep, 100 sheep, shepherd loses one, goes out to get the sheep. Now, let me just say, I said this last week, I'm, I'm going to try not to preach last week's sermon again today. I thought it was really good. Maybe you want to go listen to it again uh, or hear it if you weren't here. The parable of a lost sheep. I, I don't get why the shepherd would leave 99 healthy, good, wool-bearing sheep to go find the one that's lost, but he does. He finds the one, all heaven rejoices over the one that is returned. Then he tells about a, a lady who had 10 coins 100 sheep, 10 coins. She loses one coin, turns the house upside down uh, <clears throat> to try and find this one, this one coin. Finds it, throws a party. I think she's probably more in the party than the coin was worth, uh, but she parties because she finds the one coin. And Jesus says, All heaven rejoices over this one coin, uh, the, the person that has been found. Then he talks about the lost son, which is what we looked at last week. The lost son, the, the, the son who demands his father's inheritance, goes into the far country, spends it on. You know, wine, women, and song, kind of thing. He he ends up dead broke. Ends up working in a pig pen. Um, comes to his senses. Goes back to the father. Father throws a party for him. Kills the fatted calf. Gives him a robe and a ring. And, and 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 here's where here's where we head. Now, most sermons you hear, I, I don't maybe I shouldn't say most, but a lot of sermons that you hear stop right here. Lost sheep, rejoice. Lost coin, rejoice. Lost son, rejoice. But Jesus has already said to us, there was a man who had two sons. And he tells the story of the prodigal son who returns. And the party is going on. And Jesus, down in verse 25, says this. Meanwhile. Now, a parables many times have this twist or surprise or aspect of them that that we don't foresee. And we have been set up, whether we know it or not. His listeners have been set up. Hundred, one, ten, one, two, one. You expect right here to him to insert that same phrase, all of heaven rejoices over the return of the lost son, the prodigal. By the way, every single one of us at some point in our lives were prodigals, all of us. I and mean, just look around. Some of you aren't looking. You don't want to see the other prodigals. But you were. If you were apart from Jesus before you were saved, you were a prodigal in some sense of the word. But the parable, the flip comes right now. The surprise, the real point, I think, of the whole chapter comes right here. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Obviously, not a Baptist family. Um, They were dancing. That's my shot at my heritage. Uh, I'll give it another shot later on, so just hang on. Um, Music and dancing is taking place in the house. And what does the son do? He calls out to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. I mean, you get the picture. Older brother coming back. Here's the party going on. Gets word. His brother has come back. So what does he do? He says, praise God, my brother is home. I was so worried about him. I've been praying for him every day to come back to, 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 to his senses and come home. I was so con- You know it's not the story, right? What does he do? Older brother becomes angry and refuses to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. This look, by the way, is a really demeaning term. He's basically saying here, look here, old man. Here's what I've done. He is treating the father with disrespect. The the younger son treated him with disrespect when he demanded his money and said, I'm going to go out and live life on my own. I'm going to discover who I am. That that journey of self-discovery. I'm going to become the best whatever I am, I am. I'm going to become that. I'm going to find myself. We talked a lot about this last week. If you ever go out looking for yourself, you'll find yourself. And what you'll find is a sinner. You'll find someone apart. You'll find a flawed creation. Self-discovery will lead to a discovery of self. And the problem is that all of ourselves are flawed. We've got problems. We've got a sin issue. This son, he is the righteous brother. He is the 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 one who's done it all right his whole life and so now he's saying to the father i want i want what i want and he goes on and says yet you never gave me even a goat so i could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours not his brother when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. By the way, Jesus never said earlier that there's any prostitution involved. He just said he he squandered the money. This brother is adding the details. By the way, that's what we're apt to do, right? Many times when we start talking about problems that people have, rather than leaving it in the nebulous, kind of like they had some issues, we want to share with someone exactly what those issues were. That's what this brother does. He says, you know, he's garnered your money with prostitutes. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, I love this, the father flips the phrase. It's no longer this son of yours. Now it's this is your brother. Your brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The problem with this parable is that you've got these two sons. Neither of the sons wants the father. They both just want the father's stuff. And they're taken two different paths to get there. One has taken the path of self-discovery. The other one has taken this path of self-righteousness. Neither of them want the Father. They just want the Father's stuff. And they both lead to a rocky end. And you can see Jesus' listeners. I don't know if you can, but they're just waiting for him to say, here's what happens. But he doesn't. It all ends right here. And it's as if... I think this whole thing is a setup for the Pharisees, the teachers of the law who are judging the sinners. And it's as if Jesus is turning to them and saying, are you going to come in or are you going to stay outside? In Rembrandt's painting that I mentioned to you last week, The prodigal son, you see the father in the center, the hands on the prodigal who's returned. And then to the right, you see the elder brother posed in a position of real... He's got his hands folded. It's a position of righteousness. It's a position of self-righteousness. And he's higher than the other two. He's looking down on what's taking place. Here's... Here's what I want to look at today, and it, it's, it's this issue which I'm calling the elder brother syndrome, the elder brother syndrome, because see, most of us, we identify with the prodigal in some sense. We either were prodigals, which you were, I'm trying to convince you of that. I'm not sure some of you are fully convinced yet that you were fully prodigals, or more likely you're saying, I know a prodigal. Right? You're thinking of someone you know who's like in the far country. The issue most of us don't have or don't know that we have is this. The thing that infects those of us who go to church and have been in church very long is this elder brother syndrome. And when I say infect, I want to tell you, you have been infected with it. I have been infected with it. And it, 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 let's just look at it for just a second and then look at how to overcome it, okay? So here's, here's the problem. The first is the problem of goodness. The problem of goodness. The, the elder brother says this, I've never disobeyed. I am the good son. This son of yours, this prostitute visiting, squandering boy, he disobeyed. Why does he deserve the party? Me, I've never disobeyed. I have always been good. I've always obeyed. And what happens is this this problem of goodness, so to speak, is this idea that inherently you are good. And I'm a good person who who just occasionally stumbles and does some bad things. And those of us in the church, now we see at times, the longer we go in church, the Pharisees saw themselves as the good folk. They're the good people because they were obeying the law. They were doing what? They were defending God. That's what they saw their role as, really. We're going to defend God. We're going to... We're going to hate the people God hates. We're going to take care of the rules that God has given us. And instead, they they end up not in goodness, but in self-righteous condemnation of the ones around them. The one, the law, that the law was not given so that people could achieve righteousness. The law was given to set people apart as a people of God after his own name so that the world would see that this people is a light and be drawn to the light, but instead it become this idea of judgment around them. Is the church not at times guilty of this same thing? We think we're the good people. We're the good folk. Therefore, we're going we're gonna to stand back and throw things, especially words, especially judgment, at those in the world and those around us who aren't good because we're good. G.K. Chesterton, an author who greatly influenced C.S. Lewis, there was an editorial in in a paper, this is 100 years ago, saying, what is wrong with the world? I know we always think that our time is the worst time, you know, what in the world is the world coming to? This is the worst time ever. It, it's always been bad. If you don't believe me, it's always been really bad. Go read Psalm 14. Fool says in his heart, There is no God. And then goes on from there to talk about all the horrible things that are happening in the world. What is mankind coming to? This is a thousand years before Christ. It could be written today. A hundred years ago, editorial says, What? What's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton wrote the editor this letter. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> what is wrong with the world? I am. You see, that's an idea that, that, that recognizes that I am the problem. And very few of us want to recognize that we are the problem. I've told this story before, long time ago. My kids were fighting. I came to one of them and said, what's the problem? He said, he's the problem. Him, he's the problem. See, that's the way we are. We come and what's the problem? Nobody wants to take responsibility for themselves. Nobody, it is hard to recognize the non-goodness in yourself. I've done marriage counseling for a number of years now reluctantly, but it's part of the job. <laughs> so I've done a lot of marriage. 99.99% of the time, almost a hundred, probably a hundred, but I, I want to give some room for air. A couple comes in and I'm like, what can I do for it? What can I, what are we here for? I need you to fix him. I need you to fix her if you would fix him or her, our relationship would be, I think it would be great." And I'm like, no, no it wouldn't. And here's why, because you're the problem. (laughs) People are always offended when I tell them that. (laughs) How do I know? Because I've got a great marriage and the problems I have in the marriage, in our marriage, which are few and we're not spending months apart, just want (laughs) to clarify, For The the problems I have, I recognize I'm the biggest issue. I am the problem. And until we all recognize that none of us are inherently good, we're all going to be stuck in this elder brother syndrome. We believe we deserve. Second problem with elder brother syndrome that we have, Zach, help me, buddy, is this, um, that... We, at times, there's this second issue called the slavery of service. The slavery of service. I've I've got it, but it won't change. Thanks. I'm frozen. I could start singing, but I won't. This slavery. Thanks. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm going to. Slavery of service. The brother says this. Look. Look. All these years I've been... I'm sorry, Zach, I did that to you. I thought I could, I could change it now. Somehow it gets frozen there. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He even says it. I've been slaving for you. What? What, what is the problem here? He is not a slave. He's a son. He's a son, but he sees himself as a slave to the father Trying to do stuff for him. And this is an elder brother syndrome. Where you see yourself as a slave to God rather than a son of God, you'll be doing things for the wrong reason. You are not a slave. God has called you into not slavery, but into sonship, daughtership, child. You are a child of God. Here's the problem with this idea of, 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 sla- of slavery and service. It's this, that you'll get caught up in this attitude that if I don't do this, then God is gonna do this. So, let me just give, give you an example. We, we believe in being a generous people. We believe in giving to God, why? Why do we believe that? Well, it's an act of worship, we love God, we're part of the family, we're, we're in, we're, we wanna say to God, I'm yours. And I want to be generous with everything that you've given me because nothing that I own is actually mine. It's all yours. I'm talking fast, but hang on for just a second. Therefore, I get to give out of worship and joy and thanksgiving. I've been a part of too many churches over my life where where I've heard sermons on tithing and saying tithing is a is a law or a principle that everyone who's a part of the church has to obey. And if you don't give, if you don't give your 10%, then God is gonna get you. He'll get his 10% somehow. Do you, know, you know what's gonna happen? Your fridge is gonna break. Do you want your fridge to break? Do you want your refrigerator to go down? you want your car to go bad? you want your tires to be worn out? Do you want your alternator out? you want your, something to break at your, your, your compressor at your house? If you don't give your 10%, God's going to get his. Terrified. I don't want my compressor to break. It's a slave mentality. It's just like, if then, if I don't do this, God is going to do this. He's going to get me somehow. Now, let me just say this. God will correct you in a number of ways. He disciplines those he loves. I don't want to say, but it's not tied to slavery. It's tied to family. It's tied to Childhood. And this son is doing what he's doing in order to obligate the father. He's trying to say, "I'm going to do this so that you have to do this. I'm going to tie you in, God, to this. The next one is, is the wrongness of rights. I deserve this. This is what I deserve. You never gave me a party, and I'm the one who deserved it. Because. I am not only good; not only am I serving, but I have rights. You know, this is this is what's tough in America right now. Um, we we actually believe we have rights, right? In a spiritual sense, because God is God, He is in total control. My rights. I really don't have rights, so to speak. Now, I don't want to get in the whole American ideal and life, liberty, pursuit of happiness and and that sort of thing. What I'm saying is, I can't place demands on a God who created. I can't place demands on a God who redeemed. I can't make him by saying, I deserve this. Because honestly, if God looked at me and said, hey, Bart, you're right you do deserve some stuff i'm going to give you what you deserve because when that happens then i'm going to have to throw myself on the mercy of god no 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 no. i didn't mean it like that <laughs> why because god god doesn't give us what he, we deserve he's given us grace unmeasurable grace he's he's poured himself out in the person of his son jesus to come and die for our sins So that we could have a relationship. We don't get what we deserve. You get the point? But this son thought he deserved this stuff. Now, why am I hitting this so hard? And I know I've taken a little time to do it. Because I know. I know this is me. I know that of the two characters, the prodigal or the elder brother... I more identify with the elder brother. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I think I went to my first time at church, was, I was maybe two, three weeks old. I've been in church my entire life. I, I can't even think of uh, a Sunday that I've missed, unless I've been sick or out of town. I've always been at church for my many years. Now, of course, you're saying, well, he gets paid to go to church. Of course he goes to church. It's not that. It's just this, this idea that I've gone to church my whole life. I, I was, I, I've told this story before, but I, I think it bears repeating is this. I, I was in my 20s where I had lived the life everybody had told me I was supposed to live. I'd gone to church I had gone to a Baptist college. I'd gone to a Baptist seminary. I, I, I was working in a church. I, I was a good Baptist boy. I had not had sex outside of marriage. I'm in my 20s. I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't do alcohol. I, I, was, I didn't watch porn. Well, first of all, you couldn't watch it back then. We didn't have the internets. And, and so, I mean, I, I was living a good, I was doing everything I was told to do. And I reached a point where I was totally miserable in my Christian experience. I mean, I just, it was just like, this, there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. I'm doing everything they told me to do. And I, I, I usually don't tell this part of the story, but a couple of things in my life I recognized. One, I was unbelievably judgmental. I mean, it, it creeps on me all the time anyway, um, but at that point unbelievable in my heart. I wasn't always saying it, but in my heart, I would see someone and I would say, that's what they deserve. They're getting what they deserve. They're doing this and doing this and doing this. They're not living a good life like me. They're not living the good Christian life. And instead of having grace and mercy and reaching out in love to touch these people, I would generally separate myself from them. And I would look toward God and say, this is what I deserve. Look look at how special I am. Look at me, God. You're lucky to have me. You know, I could be doing a lot of other stuff. I could be making a lot more money doing other stuff. But here I am, God. Aren't you fortunate that I've chosen to work for you? I mean, arrogance is unbelievable. Now, I probably never really said it that way. And then in that term, I wasn't that arrogant. But it was in there. Those attitudes, I may have, who knows. But those spirits were... They're stirring in me. And here's my deal. Here's what I want to say to you. The longer you're in church, the more all of these things will jump on you. The longer you you stay in church and try and do right things, all of them will start to get upon you. Tim Keller tells this story, and a lot of it is only judged by the heart. Tim Keller tells this story of this farmer who was very poor, and the king came by, and the farmer gave him a carrot. It was his best carrot, let's say, but he still gave him a, a carrot. And the king, and the, 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 the farmer was just so grateful to be with the king and giving him the carrot that the, the king said, Look, I've got a plot of land that's right next to yours. I want to give you the land so that you can farm it. The farmer was so grateful and just thanked the king and said, I just wanted to give you a carrot to say thanks for being our king. A rich man in the kingdom hears this story. He says, He gave him a carrot? And got a plot of land? I could could give him something better. No telling what he'd give me. So he brings this black horse, this stallion, into the king. And he says to the king, King, this is the best horse in all of the land. And I want to gift it to you. And the king looks at the man and says, Great. And the man is so, he's so offended, the king doesn't offer him anything in return. And, and the man says to the king, I, I, I thought you gave, you gave the farmer who gave you a carrot, a piece of land. I've given you this unbelievable horse and you, you're not giving me anything? And the king says to him this, the man who gave me the carrot gave it for me. You're giving the horse for yourself. The idea being that, that many times we start getting caught in this older brother syndrome where we think we're doing things for God, but we're actually doing them for ourselves. We're doing things to obligate God. We're doing things to... Do. Am I the only one who sees himself in this story? I mean, really, I, I, I just see it. And I wish I could say, I wish I could go back and say, you know, I got over this in my early 20s. When this happened to me and I realized what was going on and God moved in my life, I, I dealt with it. I'm good. Then I became even better because I'm a pastor now. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm getting away for two months is because I recognize how this infection keeps coming back on me and how I need to take care of my own soul. And take care of, how can I minister with you if I'm so struggling with some of these issues? And I want to encourage you, get away. Get time with God. Figure out a way to, to, to take care of this. How? I'm going to, this is a short part, but. Thanks, Zach. I told you, we been have technical, technical issues all morning. The cure for the elder brother syndrome. How do I get over this? How do I get this infection? The father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Oh my goodness, think about this. The father is not giving to the son because the son is good or right or he is slave for the father. He is giving it to him out of relationship. You're my son. I'm giving you this. The way to get over this cure for... The the way to get cured is to realize who you are in Jesus. You are a son. You're a daughter. Well, I got to do some more stuff to earn my sonship. No, no, no. He gave it to you. It's a gift. You never could earn it. Okay, now that I am a son i got to do this stuff. No, no, no. You do it because you love the Father, not because you're obligating him into service. All, he's given it to you. So just pretend with me for a minute. Just pretend with me that this afternoon you're going to go out and you're going to do something wrong. I said, just pretend. <laughs> just pretend for a minute you're going to go out this, this afternoon and you're going to think a bad thought, you're going you're to say an ugly word, you're going to do something. What do you need, what do you need to do to make up for the sin you committed, the sin you're committing right now, if it's possible, or the one you're going to do in the future? What do you need to do to make up for that sin? Well, the answer is, first of all, there's nothing you can do. And there's nothing you have to do because God has already done it on your behalf. Jesus has already paid the price for your forgiveness. How much more forgiven can I get? Well, you can't get any more forgiven. Right? Are you with me? He's forgiven you. You can't get more forgiven than you are right now. Does that not seem wrong to you? Some of you are like, wait, wait. I think he's tricking us. I think he's trying to ask a trick question. I'll just say it. It's hard for me to get my head around that God can forgive me that much that i am that much a part of his family i'm his son that he loves me that much here's what i think is really will really help us and that's this come into the love of the father you are deeply truly loved he loves you come into relationship with the father This is not about some distant God. This is about your father. We have a spirit of sonship. We can call him Abba, father, daddy. We're in a relationship with him. And walk in your sonship. And I I know that's the genders here. That's what the Bible uses, this idea of sonship. But you can say daughtership, childhood. We're all, regardless of gender, you're a son or daughter. You're a son of God. You're a child of his. And you need to come into sonship. Realize who you are, that you're a part of the family of faith. Jesus goes on and says, for the son of man came to do what? He came to minister to the beautiful people. Really. We need a beautiful people church. We need to go to Mountain Brook and start a church. Because that's where the beautiful people are, right? (laughs) I'm taking my shot at Mountain Brook because... We're in Vestavia, so we're so much better. (laughs) You know, we need to to minister to the beautiful people. No, no, no. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He he came to go get the one sheep, the one coin, the one son. But at the same time, those that he has gotten need to stand back and celebrate all who come in. We need to open-arm love people. In the sense of ministering to them in the name of Christ, the Spirit Himself testifies with us, with our Spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that he may also, we may also share in His glory. We're going to share in sufferings, we're going to share in glory because we're a part of the family of faith. Here's my prayer. Jesus stood at this parable and left it open-ended where the Pharisees, like, had a choice. Are we coming in or are we staying out? The Father's pleading with them to come into the party. Come in and celebrate with the Son. And I think every single one of us faces this choice on a consistent basis. Am I going to stay out and judge or am I going to come in and celebrate? Am I going to say, I am so glad my brother is home. I have missed him so much. I'm so sorry he had to go on this journey, but I'm glad he's come back to the Father. Or are you going to say, hey, welcome back, but you've got to pay your dues. Here's the other thing about this parable. The Pharisees are this judgmental elder brother. Jesus, on the other hand, is the perfect elder brother. Not elder brother in the sense, I've been using it in a negative connotation all day, but at this point, I'm using it as pie. He is the perfect elder brother, the one who says, come on in, the one who celebrates. Not only that, but as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, we are saying, look, it's by his blood that those wrongdoings that we did are now forgiven. It's by his broken body that we all now are a part of the... We who were broken and many were now one. We're now part of the family of faith. It's because of the cross of shame that we have identity. It's because of the crown of thorns that caused such pain that we can have healing. It's because of his blood that was shed and the agony that he endured that we can have joy as a part of the family of faith. And we come to the table of the Lord, we're saying, God, thank you. I was a prodigal, now I'm a part of the family. I struggle as a judgmental elder brother. Lord, give me, let me walk in grace. Let your spirit of life flow in me. Henry Nouwen says this, thus Jesus is the elder son of the father. He is sent by the father to reveal God's unremitting love for all his resentful children and to offer himself as the way home. Jesus is God's way of making the impossible possible, of allowing light to conquer darkness. The question I have to all of us elder brothers, are we going to come in? The Father says, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Are we going to walk in faith and believe that God really has our best intention at heart? Today, when you come to the table of the Lord, I am asking you to come and say, God, forgive me for being an elder brother. May I walk more like my big brother, Jesus, And the life and power of the spirit today. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus. The one who leads your life and forgives your sins. Maybe you're the younger brother. And you're off kind of doing your own thing of self-discovery. And trying to earn your way in. I want to encourage you to come to know this Jesus that we're talking about. As the one who forgives your sins and leads your life. This is not some religious ritual we go through. This is not just some churchy thing. Instead, this is, this is by the grace of God that we come to the table of the Lord and we meet with God and he moves in our hearts, he moves in our bodies, he moves in our lives. Come to the table of the Lord. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you this morning that Jesus Christ, you are the perfect older brother. That God, you have directed our steps that you have redeemed us, that because of you we're part of the family of faith. And I pray this morning, God, you'd forgive us for our self-righteousness, which is not a form of righteousness at all. You'd forgive us for our demand of goodness, which isn't really good at all, and our service that is really a form of slavery instead of sonship. Lord, we thank you that this table today represents what you've done in our lives. Our greatest problem, our, our distance from you has been handled. And now we are part of the family of faith. Thank you. May we receive everything you want to do in us, to us, and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord. Middle sections down these middle aisles. Just take the cup um, and the bread and take it back to your place. And then outside sections down the outside aisle. And then we will take it together, all together, as the body of Christ. That his body was broken so that we who were many can become one. This is the body of Christ. Take. of his suffering which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins.